Hi, and welcome to Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking discussion about everyday dilemmas. I'm Marna Ashburn, joined by wife, mother, and attorney Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Hey, Marna. Hi, Mike. Hello, everybody. Hey, Kelly. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Mike. We're here to offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations. Our goal is to help you scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. Today, our topic is inheritance and all the memorable scenarios that unfold around families and money. Let's get started with the first one. An aging mother has four adult children, two boys and two girls. For reasons that aren't exactly clear, the mother decides to write the two sons out of the will. It's only when the mother dies that the sons find out they've been disinherited. The sons ask their two sisters if they knew about this beforehand, and the sisters said yes. They knew, but it was their mother's wish to keep it from the sons, so the daughters honored their mother's wish. I should also mention that the sons were not derelict. There had been some conflicts in the past, just like there are in many families, but one of the sons had even sold his condominium and moved into the house to help care for his mother in her declining years. Were the sisters remiss in remaining silent? What's your advice for someone who finds herself or himself in a similar situation as the sisters did. Mike, let's start with you. Ah, this is a tough one, Marna, and it really breaks my heart. It's so sad when you see families that kind of break up when you know, when it's when they're faced with inheritance issues or all of a sudden there's money on the table. But I read this scenario, I listen to you relate it, and there's more to this story. So I'll pick out one thing. The scenario has one of the sons sold his condominium and moved into the house, that's his mother's house, to help care for her in her declining years. That's a huge commitment. I think any of us that have aging parents and full lives, we know that to dedicate yourself to caring for an, an aging parent is is really an act of love. And so for that to have been done by one of the sons, and then somehow it goes unsaid, unnoticed that that son is written out of the will. There's something going on here that doesn't make sense to me. If the sisters knew about it ahead of time, and they saw their brother doing more and, and being more involved in their mom's life, and they knew he was written out of the will... I'm assuming this is a reasonably functional family and these siblings get along reasonably well. Yes, I think you have an obligation to say something to to step in. I also think the son, you know, just in terms of his own awareness, if he's helping caring for the aging mom, I'm sure he's taking care of, you know, he's probably taking care of medical issues, uh, kind of just the logistics of life. Perhaps there were some financial things in there. Most of us have done all that stuff. If he didn't know what was going on, shame on him. So there's a lot of blame to go around here, but I think the sisters really should have raised a red flag and said, hey, this isn't a good idea. With their mother. With their mother. With, you know, they should have read in the brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, They should have told them and said, hey, something's, something's not right here. But, you know, it goes back to the fact that people who are otherwise normal and balanced and reasonable can become so greedy when there's a question of inheritance. It, I've seen it time and again. I've seen it in my own family multiple times, and it just yeah. it breaks my heart. So you think they should have ignored the mother's wishes to keep it a secret? Yeah. Because that was their rationale. Yeah. We, we honored her wishes. 
Yeah, no, I think that's very self-serving. Maybe you guys haven't been in this situation, but I've dealt with aging parents multiple times now, both my parents and my wife's parents. When done right, it's an ongoing conversation between the children. It happens all the time, and the children are saying things to each other that they really don't share with the aging parent because they're they're being responsible and they're planning. So it, it should have been said, yes. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with some of what Mike says. I don't agree with some of what Mike said. I don't blame the brother. I think he acted with unconditional love. He just really was being a really wonderful son and sibling by selling his place, moving in with mom, and just giving her his unconditional love and attention. That shouldn't be dependent upon receiving an inheritance. He shouldn't have to raise that issue with his mother. He should be able to just enjoy the time she has left, you know, with her. As far as the sisters are concerned, I mean, it's always hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes. You know, we don't understand their experience and what has transpired. Having said that, I mean, I think what they did was really underhanded. Yeah. And secretive and and wrong. I mean, when their mom said that, if in fact she did say that, they should have been like, you know, mom, no, we're not going to be a part of this. We're not going to keep stuff from our brothers. That's not right. What is she going to say? I'm going to cut you out of my will. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, go ahead. I'm going to tell my brothers what you were saying, and we're going to, you know, we're all going to be fair with each other. I mean, that would have been the right way to handle it. I think, and we've talked about this in our other shows, and I, I think you and I and Mike all agree that communication, transparency, acting consistent with your values are really important. And these are the challenging situations where you need to do that. And, right. and as Mike said, it's always hard when it comes to money. Yeah, it does. It makes the uh, stakes much higher. It sounds to me like mom was a whole can of crazy. And I wish that she had been. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I wish that she had been a little more circumspect about the dynamics that she was leaving behind in the wake of her death, because now you've got a divided household. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they're never going to recover from that. If this is what happened... And the sisters turn around after mom's gone and say, oh, yeah, well, we just were following her wishes and sorry. Yeah, it's a broken family. That's that's done for those brothers. Unless they're unless the sisters say, look, you know, this is what we did, but we're going to share everything with you. Not to worry, you know, something like that, which I'm sure they did not do. They're being kind of high minded with uh, we were honoring her wishes, but I really think it comes down to greed. They're thinking now we have a pile of money split two ways instead of four ways. Isn't that great? Yeah, I agree with you. I was listening to uh, Dave Ramsey on his podcast. He's the financial guy. And the caller said her mother was a millionaire. She was dying. And there were some issues circling about the will and all that. And Dave Ramsey said, get everybody together and have your mom read the will before she dies. And the caller said, well, we all live in different states and it's kind of hard to get together. And Dave Ramsey said, it's called Skype. It's called teleconference. Get everybody on the phone and have your mom read the will. Yeah, because excellent it- advice. Oh, yeah, because And, if you and that's, what, that's what the son who sold his condo and moved in with the mom should have insisted and said, I, th- I think it's incumbent on every kid who has an aging parent to know what's going on. Know as much as you need to know, but the will and the, and the legal arrangements, I, I think it's required knowledge for everybody. And the daughters, I think, should have pressed the mother to be more forthcoming. Yeah, they just shouldn't have been associated with that whole setup. 
that's where it all went wrong. They yeah. just should have said, Mom, this isn't right. Right. So uh, lessons learned from this. Read the will ahead of time. And don't do anything you're going to regret later. Like, be silent. Why? Yeah, I totally agree with you, Marna. Like so many things we discuss, you have to think about the action in the moment in terms of its ramifications going forward. So if those sisters in any way valued a relationship with their two brothers, they should have thought that through. Family's important, and it's it's not worth, in most cases, it is not worth throwing away a functional family for some money. And yet it happens so often. Why is that? I think it's the ugly face of greed appearing whenever there's free money on the table. It's amazing. I think it's baked into human nature, and it's really sad, and we have to work against it. Kelly, is there anything else you want to add? I agree. I just think transparency, keeping everything out in the open, and then, you know, you have to fight that urge for money, which is difficult, especially in our society. And like most scenarios we talk about on this show, we encourage communication. We'll be right back with another Dilemma. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. This is our second dilemma, and Mike is going to set it up for us. Wow, I'm really excited. This is the first scenario I've ever set up. So here we go. Don't hold me to too high a standard. That's not true. Um, you did the gold certificate. One, oh, remember? that's right, the gold certificate. Okay. All right, hopefully this one I do You're a an old better. hand at this. Thank you, Marna. Thank you. So true story. All the people who are involved in this are now passed away, so I felt pretty comfortable uh, putting it out there. Back in the 70s, I had an elderly aunt, and and we knew her very well, and she was dying of cancer, and she'd completed her will. She was very organized. She had no children, and she decided that her estate would be split evenly between her two surviving siblings, her brother and her sister. Her sister was my mom. My mom was also her sister's executor, and my mom had medical and legal power of attorney. And my mom spent the last few months of her sister's life flying back and forth from New York State to Minnesota several times each month, caring as she could for her older sister as she reached her final days. And during that time, the brother, who lived in California, never visited. My aunt had made it clear to her brother and sister, who would inherit the money, that they should pass along most of the funds to their own kids for college. We were three in my family, and my uncle had two daughters. But my aunt did not want to directly give this money to her nieces and nephews because most of us were not in college yet, and far less than 21 years of age. One month before my aunt died, her younger brother called her on the phone and asked for his share of her estate immediately, as he was in a financial bind. And just as background, he was a lifelong alcoholic, had lots of troubles, and often was in financial trouble. My aunt was deeply, deeply offended. She told her brother off, called her lawyer, and immediately wrote him out of the will. After she'd passed away, my uncle learned that he had been disinherited. Irate, he called my mother and he demanded his half of the estate. What do you think my mother should have done? All right, Kelly, you're on. All right, well, (laughs) I mean, one thing I will say is I, I think your aunt did not get skilled legal guidance. If she wanted to leave money, ultimately for her nieces and nephews, uh, a good attorney could have set up a trust and all this could have been avoided. You know, the money could have been set up in the trust properly. It could have been used and paid directly 
for college and and then been released whatever was left at a later date at an age of her choosing. So that's really how it should have been done and that would have avoided everything that your mom had to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult for your mom because as executor, she has a fiduciary duty. She has to carry out your aunt's wishes, she, you know, as, as stated in the will. However, once the estate is settled... Um, she can do as she pleases with any money she received. That would be my thought. Your mom's in a, in a tough spot for sure. Yeah. I have that in my notes too. I said I would have, if I were your mom, I would have nudged her sister towards setting up the money in the trust for the nieces and nephews because did she really think the ne'er-do-well brother would comply with her wishes? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Marna. And my <laughs> guess is, you know, having only met him a handful of times, my guess is that money would have quickly disappeared. So I would hope that your mom set aside some money for, I guess that would be her, her nieces, even though they were yeah. cut out of the will. Yeah. In fact, she did. In fact, she did. I think it came as a very wonderful surprise to them. It unfortunately ended my mother's relationship with her brother, oh. which, was, which was also, it was a difficult relationship because he would often call asking my mother for money. But I, I want to go back to one thing Kelly said and just kind of throw it out there because these were very hardworking people who didn't like lawyers, didn't hang out with lawyers, might not have known what a trust was, but had been very careful and diligent throughout their lives and, you know, saved money and put it in CDs and that kind of thing. They were not sophisticated financially. And so the idea of a trust for some people is just, it's a foreign word. It's not even in their, it's not even in their lexicon. So I think we have to keep that in mind when we talk about some folks. But that's where the lawyer, a good lawyer comes in. It's not your aunt's fault. I mean, when she calls the lawyer to change the will, the yeah, lawyer okay. should have a conversation with her and the lawyer should have in the first place, sat down with her, spent some time with her, asked her a lot of questions, and it wouldn't have taken long to learn that, you know, what her real desire was is to care for and assist her nieces and nephews. It wouldn't have been that hard. And then the attorney should have been able to then put a trust together and educate her and explain that to her. It's not on her. I mean... Yeah. No, it's a good point. Um, I just come back at you, knowing my aunt as I did. She was a child of the Depression, and she didn't necessarily like lawyers, and lawyers cost a lot of money, so she probably went for the cheapest, simplest thing that she could possibly do because she wasn't going to line that lawyer's pockets. So I'm just throwing that out there. Well, here's some advice. There's such a thing as false economy. Yeah, no, it's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and also, what Kelly was saying about the lawyer and the legal advice. Kelly, would it have been um, appropriate for a lawyer to say to Mike's aunt when she called to change her will, look, it looks like you're pretty upset. Why don't we table this for a while, let you calm down, talk about it when things have cooled off? Because it sounds like aunt, the aunt just in the white hot heat of the moment just committed an impulsive act. Well, and we don't know the attorney could have done that. And, and the tricky part when you're an attorney in that situation is you have somebody who's elderly and is not well. So the last thing you want to do is be responsible for not taking care of something in a timely manner and not carrying out their wishes because that's malpractice. And you could have a big issue, you know, if, if the person were to die within the next week or so and you haven't done what they requested. It's, it's, a, it's a fine line. And, and it's funny, you know, when I practice law um, in Virginia, I had a general practice and I 
I did handle um, wills and very simple trusts. And if if it was a more complicated matter with tax consequences or anything tricky, you know, I always had excellent people that I sent my clients to. But I mean, I had more than one client come to me where I did a will and within a short period of time, they passed away. And in a couple of cases, they weren't ill. I mean, they were accidents. Mm -hmm. And one in particular, I can remember the gentleman coming in. It was a second marriage. He had learned that his wife had done a will and was going to leave everything to her children and not make arrangements for him. And so, gosh darn it, he was going to do the same thing. (laughs) Oh, Uh, Oh, boy. You know, we met twice. We reviewed everything. I did the documents, forgot about it. And I got a call probably three months later from a a local colleague letting me know that my client had passed away. He was an avid fisherman, but he couldn't swim. Mm. And he he drowned. Oh, jeez. And his client, the wife, had found the will, and she was not happy. So, you know, I then became a witness It's very tricky as a lawyer, and you have to be thinking about what's best for the client, and you also have to be thinking about malpractice and, you know, doing things correctly and in a timely way. Had that will been completed, Kelly? It Uh, was completed. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. He had come in, and then we talked about things. I prepared the documents. He came back. We reviewed them. I made sure that these were his wishes. We had witnesses. It was notarized, so it was fully taken care of. the wife was contesting the will? Yes. And Mm -hmm. was she successful? You know, I don't know, because... I actually, within a year, left the area, but I was never called as a witness or involved. You know, I talked with the attorney. Um, He interviewed me. You know, I let him know what transpired and, you know, told him the names of the witnesses, which were noted on the documents anyways. And um, I didn't hear from him again. So my guess is probably it was settled. Often people sit down. And also they review the statutes. The state statutes sometimes, depending upon the state, can address these kinds of situations where you have a children from a prior marriage that aren't the children of the current spouse. And, you know, there are some different things that happen statutorily. Okay. Well, Mike, now that all the principals in your story have passed away, can you tell us what happened with the brother and the money? Yeah. So the brother did not get any money. My mother received it all and she settled the estate and then she had all those funds and she, you know, in essence, divided them five ways and set aside three fifths for her own kids and then gave the money directly. And I I don't know exactly how she did that. And she may have done it at a later date when my two cousins were older, but gave the money directly to the two daughters, her two nieces. So at the end of the day, it probably turned out better because I would speculate that my uncle would have never given that money to his two daughters, given the way he lived his own life. Yeah. (laughs) So it all worked out. And, you know, my mom... I think my mom did the right thing. You know, she was very, she'd lived a very hard life in many different ways. And so the idea that she could pay something forward to her own family, even though her brother had done her wrong, was something valuable to her. Yeah. Well, speaking of that brother, it brings up something that is a pet peeve of mine. When people talk about my inheritance before the soon-to-be deceased has even died, there's no inheritance until there's a death. 
<laughs> you know, it's, it's, and when you speak of it as yeah. an, an entitlement, yeah. that's really presumptuous, I think. I mean, it's absolutely disgraceful. I would much rather have the person here yeah. with me and our family than gone and, and using and enjoying their own money. Right. So we kind of take a little different approach in our family. I have four adult children, and my wife and I have made it a point to have financial and sort of legal discussions with them now that they're all adults. And, and we do it as often as we can on a lot of different topics to include the will, what our wills are. And we make jokes about it. So my wife and I will decide to go do something that one of the children seems to find rather extravagant. And uh, <laughs> and then the three, the four kids will get to talking and, you know, all of a sudden there'll be this little buzz of conversation. And, you know, either my wife will, or, or myself will just kind of go out and we have this family chat thing that we kind of converse on and we'll go, yeah, yeah, we're just, we're spending your inheritance, kids, you know? <laughs> we're going to so die broke. <laughs> that's become, yeah, you know, we want to, we want to roll into the grave broke and uh you know whatever have, having had a great meal is our last act um, that's right bounce a check on your way to the grave <laughs> that's right but we make a joke out of it and i do this it is fun and funny but i really do this because i want this to be something that all of my kids talk about often and i want there to be radical transparency on the part of kathy and me so that there are no surprises and that we don't see our family break up over money, as I've seen so many others, uh, unfortunately, right. have happened. Oh, yeah. And I have known people, married couples with children, with homes, with investments, and they don't have a will. I'm shocked. Yeah, that's amazing. They don't amazing. have a will. And I will say, get yourself to a lawyer and make a will. Oh, we will, will. Last time I had my will updated because I had changed states and somebody told me that you, you needed a valid will for your state. So I um, had it updated and the lawyer said, good for you getting your will current. And I said, well, don't most people have a will? And he said, oh, no. And I said, well, that just seems like a basic thing to me. And he said, people ignore basic things all the time. If you take one thing away from this show today, get your will done and tell yeah. everybody yeah. what's in Great it. Great point. Great point. <laughs> I mean, because otherwise, you know, if you die without a will, then you die um, intestate. And in which case, the laws of your state, the state that you reside in, determine what happens to your property, your home, your bank accounts, your jewelry, everything. Everything. So you have to decide, do I want the state to determine this? Now, in a lot of cases, it'll be fine. If you're married, everything's going to go to your spouse, unless you have children from another marriage, in which case, depending upon the state, that could impact things. If you are a single person with children, children would share. But it can become complicated, and there's no reason to make things hard on the living. And there's no reason not to go ahead and step up and state where you want everything to go. You know, and particularly if you have minor children, it's critical. Oh, yeah. Because you, you, you want to name those guardians. You want to be clear about that. And what I would recommend, too, is there's an organization called the American College of Trusts and Estates Council. And maybe we can put their link up on the website, Marna. It's sure. a nonprofit national association of lawyers and law professors. They are elected to membership. They're the best and the brightest as far as wills, trusts, and estates are concerned. They have years of experience. So, you know, that would be a great place to start to find a qualified attorney because you do want to find somebody with experience so that you get the best advice, even for, for a simple matter. Well, referencing Mike's 
aunt who was who didn't want to spend too much money on a lawyer. What about for people of modest means who don't have the money to hire a lawyer? Are there some low-cost ways to get a will? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we can put some of them on the website. A lot of states have organizations that will help low-income people. General practitioners can help with simple wills and simple trusts, often for reasonable fees. So there's definitely some good organizations out there, and I can provide some of those, and, and we can get them up on the website. Okay, great. Stick with us. We'll have more right after the break. Welcome back to Ethics and Etiquette. Today, I want to end with a listener question. This is from Lisa, and she writes, What's so hard about ethics? You either do the right thing or you don't. You either live by the golden rule or you're selfish. Okay, what's so hard? Kelly, you want to start? Wow. (laughs) I'm glad life is black and white for somebody. Um, Lisa, I don't think it's that easy. I do think some things are clear. For example, you don't commit murder. You don't commit adultery. But do you tell your best friend when you learn their husband is cheating? Right. <laughs> is, is murder okay in certain circumstances? Like in self-defense or the death penalty? Some say abortion's murder. Is that okay? Is it all right to be unfaithful to your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend if they're abusive or you know they're being unfaithful? It just really becomes tricky. And I think that That's what we're trying to sort of delve into and get ourselves and others thinking about because you want to think about right and wrong in a more, I think, in-depth manner. Right. Mike, what's so hard about ethics? Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Good question. Thanks, Lisa. Got to line up with Kelly on this one. And I would say just take a look at the world around you. Look at how people can take the same circumstance, the same set of facts, and then interpret them in entirely different ways. Yeah. You know, I'd go so far as to say that in our public discourse in the United States right now, we're really, really grappling with ethics and we're grappling with etiquette. What constitutes being civil? What constitutes being responsible? These are things that we see playing out daily in the news, and I just think it's worth the time for each of us to look at our own lives, to kind of, against this backdrop that we see around us, whether it's a a close-in backdrop or a national backdrop, and ask yourself, okay, how do I feel about this? How would I act in that situation? Because inevitably, sooner or later, each of us is going to be faced with a with some tough decisions. If they haven't come already in your life, they're on their way. Prepare yourself. So that's why I think this podcast creates value that, you know, it introduces people to some things they may not have thought about. And it kind of gives them some sticky situations, which they they can hear us sort through. And maybe that makes them better prepared for what's coming at them in their lives or the situations they're dealing with currently. Who knows? Right. Oh, I think uh, modeling sorting through sticky situations is what's so valuable about this program because it's not black and white. Like Kelly said, things aren't black and white. They're they're nuanced. And we have uh, the title of our show is Ethics and Etiquette. And I think the most fascinating scenarios are when ethics collide with etiquette or etiquette collides with ethics. And we have this, this whole overlap that we need to discuss. That is far from simple. I totally agree with both of you. I mean, it's about 
kind of thinking things through day in and day out and trying to live a life of integrity. And with our public discourse, it can be difficult because a lot of this is about kindness, too. And just to give a recent example, and I'm sure everyone saw it, but the Dallas Cowboys were playing on Sunday and Ellen DeGeneres was up in the box with her wife sitting next to President Bush and the former First Lady Laura Bush. And people were horrible, you know, on Twitter and different social media platforms, just ripping her for being seen with him. And I saw today she, I didn't read her whole statement, but it basically was like, be kind. And some people made really, you know, insightful comments like that they thought it was great that they could sit and enjoy a football game next to each other, that you don't have to have everything in the world in common. You don't have to have the same politics. You don't have to have the same lifestyle. Sometimes it can get disheartening with the way our society is. And And we do talk a lot about respect for others and tolerance on this show, so... There's a perfect example. Yeah, and people that are really different can be great friends. This is going to be kind of corny, but Justice Ginsburg on the Supreme Court is really one of the most liberal justices we've ever had. And her dearest friend was Justice Scalia. Oh, really? That's right. They liked opera, didn't they? (laughs) Well, they just had a lot in common, and they had a great friendship and a really special friendship. They did things together socially. They loved being together. I think that they loved challenging each other. They read each other's opinions. They were absolutely at opposite ends of the spectrum in every way, politically, ethnically, religiously, (laughs) every way. Yeah. Um, Yet... They had this special bond, and we all should kind of look at that, and and I think it enriched both their lives, and we should look at that and try to emulate. Well, that's a beautiful thought to end on, being kind to others. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, great, great, Kelly. That's all for this episode of Ethics and Etiquette. Thanks for joining Kelly, Mike, and me. We loved having you here. See you next week for an all-new episode.